for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blicey. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. I'm your host, Aaron Blicey, and this is episode number four. Today on the episode, I've got Casey Thren from Complete Deer Management on. He's a wealth of knowledge talking about deer management and what you should be doing on your property right now to prepare for the fall. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Fall Podcast. All right, here we are back again today for the episode four of the Fall Podcast, and today I've got a special guest on, Casey Thren of Complete Deer Management. Casey, how you doing? Doing good, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you coming on, and you and I have been talking about this for a while, and just so everybody knows who doesn't know, Casey is actually my uncle, so I've known you basically my whole life. <laughs> That's right. So basically what I what I want to talk about is I want you to explain what you do at Complete Deer Management, how long you've been doing it, and just kind of get a brief bio on, you know, everything you offer, and then I kind of want to get into and talk about uh, just what we need to be doing with our properties and management right now in the present. So if you could just give a little brief bio about yourself. Yeah, so I started Complete Deer Management. This is my sixth full-time season. This is what I do for a living. Um, uh, kind of get through the winters best I can. And, um, but this is my sixth full season started out doing food plots. My background is ornamental horticulture. I have a horticulture degree from Ferris, um, ran a landscape lawn care, snow plowing business for like 18 years and then started doing this on the side and kind of grown it. I, um, the, uh, landscape business ran its course and I fell in love with this and, you know, hunting has always been a staple in my life. And um, so what complete gear management is, is 
basically com- complete property management is probably how I should have said it, but I wanted to put gear in the title. Um, I've kind of, um, all about habitat, you know, so from consulting, meaning, uh, client calls up and says, Hey, I need some help. I have these goals and objectives. We talk about uh, a lot of their goals and objectives, ask them tons of questions. And then we go walk the property and draw them up a plan. Or we, I write down, uh, um, ideas of what they can do to improve their property. A lot of times I like to do the stuff that we talk about, like put in food plots, um, put in all sorts of food plots and maintain them, um, put in switchgrass, put in uh, trees and shrubs, uh, do a lot of hinge cutting. I guess not a lot of hinge cutting. This year I've done a lot of hinge cutting. Um, this year's exploded for me. It's been a great year so far. Hopefully, knock on wood, it continues. But uh, um, I prune apple trees. I build blinds, put up tower blinds, run trail cameras. Um, you know, you name it, anything that has to be done on a hunting property, I try to provide that service. Everything except like a timber stand improvement or um, anything that has to do with a timber sale. I work with a forester. Uh, I work, get the forester and the client together, kind of liaison between those guys with my plan, with the customer's objectives, and then the forester's recommendations. Um, so other than that, you know, I build little ponds, you know, pretty much a lot of that stuff. My, my, Education besides the horticulture, I went through the QDMA and got certified with the deer stewardship. There's a whole bunch of ton of information you can learn from the QDMA uh, on deer biology, what deer eat, how they move, how they sleep, how they breed. And uh, other than that, on my own uh, out there, you can't really uh, beat uh, experience. So... Doing this six years full-time, I've gotten, gained a lot of experience, made a lot of mistakes, but I've also gained a ton, ton of experience, and uh, I'm getting there as far as getting my name out and and out there. So I live in Clare, and so I travel about 60 miles, but I've traveled pretty much the entire state this year. I've been to Ann Arbor, uh, Muskegon, and stuff like that, so we're getting out there. Yeah, so you are living in Clare, Michigan, and traveling all over, all over the state of Michigan. So to break it down for everybody, basically a client or you know a property owner could call you and say, "I want you to consult my property." So you could come in and just give them a plan of where you think food plots, stands, cameras, all that can go. But you can also come in and do the whole shebang like you can put in food plots you can hang cameras you can hang stands you know you can recommend timber stand improvements you can do hinge cutting i mean you a to z you can do it all but you can do both right like you can just give a consult of the whole property or you can do everything by doing the work as well correct correct yes i like i really like working and staying with the client throughout the process um I mean, I'd probably be a fool to say I can walk on someone's property one day and become an expert on it because I can't. Um, I I don't know how it can be done anyway. Uh, so I like following up with the client because this stuff takes years to to, to put together and because and, I like to educate the client as well. So 
when we when we are sitting there talking and we you know kind of coming up with goals and objectives um we kind of see if they're reachable or not and how fast we want to reach them and stuff like that um but i like to kind of go through and we i teach them about deer everything i've learned from the qdma and and other people i try to pass it on to the client like how much they eat what they eat why they eat it you know um all that sort of thing as much as they can learn it makes makes everything a lot smoother and understandable moving forward so yeah i really like staying with the client throughout the whole process and uh i don't have to obviously i can just go in and and consult but um i at least would like to stay with them you know if they have any questions or emails or uh stuff like that because uh I got guys that I just consulted with, uh, like three years ago. He still texts me every once in a while. Hey, hey, when should I do this? When should I plant this? Hey, what do you think about this? So I like staying in contact with those and I like seeing pictures of what they shoot. That's also got to be gratifying to see it come full circle once they get to harvest the ultimate goal, what they've been seeing. It is because, you know, it sure is because it makes my. Efforts kind of, hey, it did pay off. I, I, I do know what I'm doing, you know. Um, and I'll even ask them, was it because of me? And they're like, oh, you know, because <laughs> there is some luck involved. <laughs> but, you know, they're having the food pot right. you put in there. Or, uh, you know, <laughs> they come past the blind you put up. I don't know. But they, um, nevertheless, it's a, it's, a, it's a process. And, you know, if I, can, if I can say have any part in it, you know, even heck, I don't cut and shooting lanes or something. If I if I had any part of that success, I feel pretty proud. I mean, I can't shoot eighteen deer a year. I can't even shoot two. Um, I mean, bucks. Well, I guess legally we can shoot two, but um, yeah, that's really exciting when other people send me a picture, text me a picture, and go, "Wow, that's awesome." That's that's awesome. So when a client, let's say a client calls you, a new client, and they give you the rundown. You know, I've got X amount of acres and this is what I'm trying to achieve. It could be a new piece of property they got or it could be existing and they just want to make it better. What is your next steps once they give you the bullet points of what they want to do? Like, let's say they want to make a big sanctuary with some food plots, you know, around the property and, um, you know, some better access what is your plan from there after that phone call to get them the best the best quality of resource that you have so they get the maximum out of it right so we spent, we spent quite a I spent a lot of time asking them questions I got um I've got a sheet that I made of course you know the name and your address and all your contact information so on and so forth we talk about the qdma we talk about deer biology a lot we try to get them a qdma membership um because that helps me and will help them in the long run by passing on what i've learned to them and them understanding it um how deer move how deer work what deer eat how they eat how much they eat when they eat it so on and so forth so if if that's a couple of their goals, you know, a sanctuary and access. And, and I'm telling you, not to kind of go off course a little bit, but a lot of time, some properties are set up pretty good, but their biggest challenge 
and I have the same challenge, and I think you and I talked about it on your property. How do we get into the property without spooking deer? And that is a challenge for almost everybody I go on, especially here in Michigan when we have, you know, kind of, but like I have 20 acres, and it's hard for, and we live on it, so it's hard for me to get back where I need to hunt, where the bucks are kind of coming through without spooking, you know, blowing up the woods with my scent and, and get, getting caught basically. Um, so I spent a lot of time on the phone or in person asking them almost every question I can about the property, about what they want. And then we start talking about the neighbors. We try to learn about the neighbors. We look at overhead maps, either on Google earth, usually, um, we kind of, we kind of, kind of get a layout of the plan. And like you said, if you want a sanctuary and access, I got an idea kind of in my head and then I got to meet, we got to put boots on the property with, with the landowner and they have to show me exactly what they want. So when I'm out there looking, I'm looking at deer trails. I'm looking at deer food. I'm looking at a browse line. I'm looking at what types of trees are there. Maybe a forester needs to come in, possibly, maybe not. Um, I look at trees that could be, that are of no wildlife value whatsoever. I look at shrubs. I look at, it depends on what type of year it is, but a lot of times when I'm on these properties in the winter, you can see quite a bit, you know, and you can kind of tell by a soil profile or what the landowner says, kind of what's growing there. If it's ferns, if it's oh woody brush or, you know, you can tell if there's pucker brush there where there's, um, if there's deer food or not, basically. And you can kind of tell browse line, but you can also see how the deer are using the property already. And I kind of like to improve on what they're already doing, where they're already bedding, and then try to improve on that and not disrupt their mm, life so much. Let's improve. Let's, find a different way in there an access and it's, it's very challenging. Um, and what I like doing with my clients is I'm hardly ever, uh, go there once and I'm done with the property. I, I, I don't know. Well, I'd be lying to you if I can walk onto your property and say, here, do this and big bucks will come. I, I don't, I don't know how you could do that. Um, so I like staying in contact with the client, working up a plan, making sure it's a good plan for the for the landowner if he likes it, and then seeing how we move it forward. If I can help them move it forward, or maybe they help them, but you know, maybe they have access to a forester or a timber buyer, or maybe they want to go out and do the chainsaw work or put up fences or whatever. So you're, you've got a checklist and once you get boots on the ground and really can check everything out, then you can really start making a fine tuned plan with the landowner and try to make everything happen from there. Correct. Right. Right. So it's so hard, you know, it's so hard, you know, you say how to put a sanctuary in and, and access, but if I can't see what the property is, and I wish maybe some of the, you know, viewers, I wish maybe one of these times we can um, uh, pull up a, a, a map or something and go, we have an idea, 
But like if they say, I want to put a sanctuary here, or a lot of the times, a lot of the guys I'm working with already do some, some of that and say, Hey, uh, this is, we stay out of this area. And I go in there and we go in there and we go, well, there's not even any deer sign in here anyway. So why not go in here? You know what I mean? What right. can we do yep. to, so if we go in there, they never go in there. We and of course, we got to try to, um, see every inch of the property. If we can, it depends on, depends a lot on, on things, but, um, we go in there and all of a sudden there, are, you know, a couple deer trails or a couple deer tracks and no beds and, and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, here's a little safe zone. Now, not to say that they couldn't go in there during hunting season when pressure is on a little bit and hang out, but what's in there for them? Is there food? Is there security cover in there? So most of the time we can go in there and, and do something to improve it if the trees are right and stuff like that. But So what if in that instance they have like a certain area that they call a quote-unquote sanctuary but you go in there and there's not a lot of deer sign or anything but that's where they want it to be so what is your next step to create that for the deer so they do want to come in there and live and call that home and then the client can say that's my sanctuary we're not going in there we hunt the edges or fringes of it what is your steps to go in there to make those deer want to go in there tough question because okay let's say it is a loaded question yeah well, let's say that because um, a lot of properties pop up when when you that I've walked that when you say that, and one comes into mind. And this winter we walked it in I think February, and it was for, like this. It was the north end of their property. It was a seventy-five acre. It was probably a ten or twelve acre area they don't go in, and um, it was all wet. It was all frozen water, and I'm like, gee. I, I, the deer were coming through there, yes, but there weren't no beds. They weren't using it during the winter. And I'm like, does this dry up in the summer? And they're like, oh, you know, a little bit. And I'm like, well, now if we wanted to make deer go in there, we'd have to, well, first we needed the logger in there because there was huge overgrown trees. Trees were 18, 24 inches diameter, big maple, um, a lot of, uh, black cherry, um, some popple, popple were in that area too big, but they needed some, uh, timber stand improvement. They needed some logs out of there. And once they do that, they might be able to get some dry up area. And then if they want to put some box in there, let's say, well, may have to haul some sand in there and build some little bedding in there and use some of those logs to brush up areas because um, you could kind of see right through it as well. So we would try to brush up the areas, maybe do some hinge cutting, but a lot of the trees were so big you couldn't hinge cut them. Um, but hopefully after a timber stand improvement, they have regeneration. And in, uh, you know, three to five years plus, they'd start getting some little um, maple shoots in there and whatnot. And, then they can start thickening up and, and having it more attractive for the deer. So we got to get food in there. And that's probably the biggest key to probably holding them is get a little food in there, get some food on the ground where they can reach it either by hinge cutting or planting. Um, and they should use it. 
Right. And that's something I'm learning a lot this year. And you've, you've helped me out with this too on, on the main farm there is that, uh, you know, we, I got that one acre that we, we hinge cut a lot to get the, you know, get the canopy open, get some new successional growth in there because I've got water in there. You know, there's a creek that runs through there, creek, whatever you want to call it. And there's water in there all year because the fields, the ag fields around it runs in there. So there's always water in there, but there was no woody browse. There was nothing for the deer to come in there and eat. And now that we got the canopy open, I was in there this weekend and the new successional growth is unbelievable. And, you know, we created some beds, did some hinge cutting and the does are actually using those beds. Now, if we circle back a little bit to the access, and we were talking about this earlier, that farm is so hard for me to access. I mean, there's no good way to do it unless there's corn on. And this year, there's not going to be corn on again. This year, it's going to be beans for the second year in a row. But it's tough. I mean, you know, it's an 80-acre farm with one acre of timber in the northeast corner of it. And, you know, the west fence row, or the east fence row, I'm sorry, is wooded with, you know, 20 acres of woods and 20 acres of warm season grasses on the neighbors, which helps because the deer like to stay over there because they don't really hunt it that much. Um, That helps a little bit, but I'm trying to attract the deer to the one acre, but I'm also trying to get in there and hunt it. So it's a fine line. I'm, you know, I'm going to kind of go against the grain how everybody says, don't hunt field edges in the morning, but this year I might be trying to get in there in the morning just because I'm going to try to get in there and use the cover of darkness to, to let me get in the stand. Now I feel like I can do that because the deer density over there is not that big. And once the beans come off and it's a, you know, a cut bean field, there's not a lot out in that field for them to eat. So I really am not worried about them being in my field. Now they will be in the in the wheat fields and the, the winter wheat fields and everything on the adjacent property, which is a ways away from me, but I'm just hoping it's a little rut hole. Yeah, I think you're right on with that because, like, let's say you go in there in the afternoon or, you know, you go out for an afternoon hunt, a PM hunt, I like to call it, um, and your deer are bedding right where you want to sit, that's impossible. So you go in there in the morning, and you get there before, while they're on their way back to bed, hopefully, and you're already there. And um, my my hope for you is that they come in there and lay right by you, and you know, because <laughs> they got to eat during the day. And what are they going to do? They're going to go out in that open field during the day? No. They're going to stay right in that area and find something to nibble on at least once during the day. And, yep. um, you know, you, that's why you put some food at their, at their face and in front of their face. And you opened up that got that new succession of growth. Cause they'll, a lot of times they'll just stand up, they'll stretch their legs. They'll walk in a 30 foot diameter, nibble, 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 go right back and lay down, chew their cud. Uh, I've seen them do it in my backyard. And, um, if they have fawns with them, fawns bellies, um, fill up first. And so, but when a doe is nursing, man, she's eating 24 seven when she's nursing. Now hunting season, she's not nursing so much, uh, at all basically, but it's going to take her probably twice as long to get her belly full as, as her fawns. 
Now think about a big buck or a larger buck, bucks we want to chase at least two and a half years or older. He's, you know, he eats a lot and he needs a lot to eat. So he eats a lot um, and he doesn't go far. And if he's safe and comfortable and you can sneak in there in the morning, cross your fingers on a good wind, get a shot. And that's that's what I'm really hoping for because, I mean, we can hold – I mean. We can't really hold deer there, but we've hunted it for two years now, and the hunter per square mile in there is not as much as it usually averages out in Michigan. There's not a lot of hunters in that square mile, especially bow hunters. So I have noticed on my trail cams, I'm getting two-year-olds to three-year-olds and three-year-olds to four-year-olds. And this next year, I've got a four-year-old that I felt like was a four-year-old last year that is going to be a five-year-old this year. So, you know, that that's good. And they're, they're just passing through right now, though, because that one acre, I mean, before you could see through it. Now you can't. You know, it is it is thick. But we opened the canopy to where, you know, like I said, I was in there this weekend, and it is like six inches t- tall grass, and we got all that woody brows from the – that were 50 foot up in the air doing no good to the deer down to the forest floor now where they're still connected and living and flourishing, but the deer are eating, which is great. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, my plan is to take a backpack blower in there here in about a month and blow the leaves off in that area. You know, I got I, I created an edge in there, um, and I want to plant clover and chicory all over in there, just broadcast it. And it's always kind of wet in there. Not not wet, but it's moist. It's not like a standing water all the time. It gets dry, but there's usually usually some good um, wetness, I guess. So I think that I think with a good seed to soil contact, I think that stuff will really come up and give even more food for the deer. Now, I'm not trying to hold the bucks. I'm trying to hold the does. So they come to me, and in the rut. They'll be there and cruising, hopefully. And actually, this year I'm going to try to do some midday hunts, like maybe take the morning off, get in there at 10 o'clock, hunt until 3 or hunt the rest of the day because the last two years our cameras have shown that there has been some good three and a half year old bucks cruising the edges in there. And uh, we just, you know, you just never really choose or think to hunt that time. So I really want to try that. And the other thing is, my big thing is I've got to discipline myself, but I'm not going to run cameras back there this year. I am I am going to run a camera on the property, but it's going to be on the complete south end of the property, away from everything, where I can get to it just to get inventory for the summer. But I want to be done hanging stands and everything by July, and I'm not going to go back in there until the first time I hunt it. Yep, and going back to when you said, you know, how, how you thickened it up, you know, so, so deer or a buck or any deer can't just kind of walk by. They can't see through it. They kind of got to go through it. And as they go through that, and I've seen it, I've seen the cutting you guys did. Um, it's going to take them a lot longer to get through that little one acre property or piece now because of yeah. the, the little, uh, you know, the trails that you made and, and edges that you made in the bedding. And I mean, I cut a few trees down there. We kind of blocked an area. So they kind of got to go around it and whatnot. And, and, when, you know, I think I like your idea to, to you know, between October 28th and uh, November 14th, let's say, all bets are off. 
the big guy could be through there at any day, at any time. So hopefully right. you can pattern them. You know, there's a couple around there, so you know you got a good shot. Yeah, and my only my only thing is, and you know, just because we talk quite a bit, but I mean, I love to hunt too. Now the good thing is, I've got other properties that I can hunt, but I want to go in there and hunt it. You know, so I'm I gotta be disciplined this year and not do it unless we get an October cold front, you know, and then get into a cold front and I can get a good win and slip in there and and try to make something happen. But it's tough, like, because I'm, I'm going to want to hunt it the first chance I get, but you got to wait. Yeah, I'm the, same, I'm the same way. I got 20 acres I like to hunt, and I really don't have any other place to hunt. So I can easily blow up my property, um, and it's tough. And a lot of my clients are the same way, you know. They want, you know... I, I yet to have had a client come up and say, hey, man, I want to shoot 130-inch class bucks every year. I want one a year. Because I'm probably going to say, depending on, you know, uh, the property and whatnot, how size and how many people hunt it, I'm going to say, um, that's probably not a reachable goal. <laughs> so, um, however, you know, we'd have to look at it. So I don't really promise anything, but. I say, look, the less hunting I do, the better I do, which sucks because uh, we like to hunt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's true, you know, and, and so I kind of tell them, let's put some, you know, a lot of the times it's, it's edge access into properties, the property line access. And if you're scaring deer on the property lines, who cares? Hopefully they're coming into yours, but there's nothing you can do. You got to get in there. And most of the time, um, you know, an older buck, probably two or three plus, isn't going to put up with that a whole lot, but those do, you know, and they'll be back. But I do believe that, again, you, like you said, pick the right time of day. You can, you know, try to get in there maybe and hunt, see what's going on and early. Um, but you get that kind of chase phase of the rut. You get a cold morning or cold day, high pressure, and you never know. Right. And that's going to be the biggest biggest challenge for me this year for sure. <laughs> yeah. And let's kind of go back to you're going to go in there and with the leaf pack or leaf blower, blow some of that stuff around. You said you got a lot of grass in there? Yeah, it's not a ton of grass. Um I mean, it is because it takes up a lot of the one acre, but it's not like your lawn. You know, it's not like a thick yeah, grass. Yeah, cool seed, yeah. So you might want to, you might have to, and it's probably going to be a work in progress because this is kind of the first year doing it, but spraying some clethodim in there to get rid of that grass. Because that's going to make your clover do better because grass, low preference, low nutrition, um, and... All-site clover, if you can find a mix that has all-site clover in it, it, it likes a little wetter ground like that, that type of clover. So if you can, you know, shop around, find something in there, um, that might help out as well. But that's a good plan. Now tell me tell me about um, the clothodin. I want to break down this because I know – I know this is one of your techniques as well, what I'm going to do. 
what what would be your process if you were doing the same thing that I'm going to do on like a client's property or your property? Yeah. Um, so the clefidem is a, um, a herbicide. It's a selective herbicide. So it's a grass only herbicide. Um, and it, right. If you spray right now, it, it's, it's hard to kill. Uh, grass would be hard to kill right now. The reason is, it's springtime. It's hot. We've got a lot of rain here and there. It's a really strong, it's, it's really strong. A lot of the um, energy of the plant is in the roots and in photosynthesis, the green stuff growing, growing. So it's really hard to kill. It's really strong right now. So you'd, I, I try not to, I try to spray as less as possible. Any, any type of stuff, glyphosate, uh, which is roundup basically. Um, Less as possible. Usually the clients, uh, some of the clients don't prefer to spray and don't like it. So we don't do it. We, we kind of go different routes. Um, the way you'd have to do is probably mow it, weed whip it, or um, rototill it. You know, on an area like that, that'd be tough because it's woody and, and, whatnot, and whatnot. But blowing, blowing the leaves will sure help. Uh, burning it, if you can burn it, would help. Um, but the key to probably the grass and any of those stuff, even in food plots, is spraying, spraying that stuff in the fall. With we don't like being in there in the fall, close to hunting season, but that's the best time to kind of kill that stuff with like platinum, let's say, because that's when the energy and the sugars are kind of going down into the roots and getting ready to to, to winter, overwinter, and it will soak up that herbicide the best and that's the best luck i have so i I, I, each each spot is different um what i would do if it was on mine i have a lot of ferns on my property so i take uh the roundup out there and try to kill them with that or weed whip and then i'll throw the clover in it and a lot of times it'll grow even if you just throw it out there um with you know, not doing any other soil prep, which uh, we need soil, seed to soil contact, but with clover, you know, it's not that expensive and just kind of throw it out there and see what happens. Would you, would you rake it back in with like a hand rake in my situation? Like once you, once you spread it, rake it back in just to try to work it in a little bit better? Yeah. If you got some soil exposed, even a rake, you know, leaf rake, that even works, help. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, work up the ground a little bit. Any, 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 any of that will help. I, it's not going to hurt you. I'm going to tell you that. It, it would be worth right. the effort to do. Yeah, that's my plan. And but I'm kind of waiting to the end of. I don't know. Like I said, I wanted to be out of there by July. I'm kind of waiting to the end of June, or and it might be one of those things if if I got all the stands hung and everything done except that where I go in there in July, maybe 1st of August, and do it so it's like a you know, a fall plot, basically. I don't want it to get it burnt up, and I don't want the deer to eat it right away. And that's something you might want to, if that's the plan, maybe go in there next time, soon and start prepping it. And then so all you have to do is when it's July or late July is go in there with your bag spreader or whatever, 
spread, 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 rick, 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 real quick, and you're out of there. Yep. And uh, all your, you know, you, whatever happens, happens. Yep. You could also throw in a little fertilizer in your bag spreader. If you have a bag spreader or whatever, you could throw in a little, um, well, anything, probably potash, 0060, or you could throw in some pelletized lime and um, right in the seed and everything and just spread, spread, spread. I think that'll be a good idea. Like I said, it's just process of elimination this year. I'm trying to, even during the summer, I'm just trying to go in there only in midday, no matter when I go in there, go in there midday. I just trying to narrow it down to what am I doing wrong, and I just want to keep less pressure off of it. So I'm going to stay in this weekend. I got two more to hang, believe it or not, in one acre. I'm going to have like three or four sets. <laughs> but you never know with the wind and each of them have a, have a purpose, so we'll see. So now, you know, basically, you know, I wanted to get you on the podcast and to let everybody know, you're going to come on to the podcast quite a bit. You're going to be helping me do maybe some hosting a little bit, but you'll be a return guest. And the, one of the big things I want to get out there is today, the first one, I want to talk about what people should be doing on their farms at this moment in time, we're in May right now, end of May. What should they be doing right now to get ahead or get prepped? Yeah. Um, before you go out, uh, go to QDMA.com and join QDMA. <laughs> join QDMA. I can't stress it enough. I mean, even even other habitat um, organizations, um, think about joining something, you know, getting involved and. We, I'm a deer. I'm a deer guy. I, I, I am involved in some other things, but um, that's going to help. You know, the QDMA. I just kind of stress that so much because of how much education you can learn from them. So in your magazines and whatnot. But on the farms, right now, you know, I haven't put a lot of seed down on a lot of farms. Um, I planted corn and soybeans for a, a client last week. Um, now this week I'm going to start rotakilling, and um, I got some switchgrass to plant and prep for. So uh, I've been prepping for the switchgrass since last year. So if you plan on planting a switchgrass, uh, you know, access or or screens stuff like that, or even uh, what are that Egyptian wheat stuff that that annual, um, rototill, rototill, or you know, get it ready. And then uh, probably plan it next week or the week after that for the switchgrass. Um, I don't like planting a lot of clovers or perennials this type of year, time of year anyway. I will start prepping if I'm going to plant a clover or a perennial or a cool something cool season. Um, in the I'll start prepping now for the fall. So. I guess if the if the landowner says, "Hey, I want to put something in right now," um, if you want to spend the money to do it, uh, plant something like uh, soybeans, buckwheat, something like that. It'll soil build and it'll feed the deer a little bit. Um, and you got a lot of you got probably in around here in Michigan, Central Michigan area, you know, a whole month of June to do that. Um, if you say, no, I'm not, don't have the money to spend on seed this spring or whatever. And 
I, I just saying, you food plots are expensive, very expensive. So you go out and you spend three, four, five hundred dollars on seed and fertilizer, and you put in clover, let's say, and it doesn't rain, and all you have is weeds going into the fall or August. You're going to be a little, little mad. Um, so hopefully by now all your soil tests are taken. But if you haven't taken your soil test, get those in. I use Michigan State University. Uh, you get about probably a seven to 10 day return time. And in the meantime, I start killing and prepping, getting the dirt ready. Um, also right now you could be working on access and hanging stands, I guess, um, if you can stand the heat and the mosquitoes. I did some hinge cutting for four or five hours by myself on Saturday and I overdid it. Uh, got a little heat stroke. Um, that one, some allergies. I, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. Should have started first thing in the morning, I guess, and uh, worked till about 11 or 12 and quit. But anyway, um, I was on a client's property and got a lot done. But you can hinge cut right now. I do not recommend hinge cutting oaks, red oaks especially. Uh, wait on those till about July 15th. Um, there's an oak wilt, it's called oak wilt. There's a little beetle that carries a spore around the, on an injured oak. They will drop that spore in it, and that spore will actually go into the ground underneath the roots. The roots are connected to the other oaks, and it'll kill all of your oaks. So be careful of that right now. Um, what I was hinging yesterday was maple. I was selling popple. Um, no oaks were around, so um, I didn't have to worry about it. And uh, what else am I going to be working on? Of course, prepping prepping stands and blinds and stuff is just never a bad time to do that. But kind of lucky I get to, you know, do this stuff for a, kind of a living anyway. I still have a hard time getting through the winter yet, but um, business is growing. And hopefully uh, we can talk here in a little while, a month or so, and prep for fall plots. Yeah, so... You're talking, get your soil ready. If you want to do spring plots, start getting those in. Even fall plots, get it ready and start tilling now. That way you don't have to use Roundup or nothing. Till, till now or, you know, disc now. I know it's tough. And family comes first. Family comes first for me and you. Um, and it's tough to get to the hunt camp and hunt properties and stuff. Um, that's when I find myself, people are hiring me because they are spending time with their families and they're younger and, um, buying property up north or whatever, and or a hunt club. A lot of guys are going in together. And but if you if you do have the time and the and the tractor, or you know, you can even rent equipment. Um, it's not too bad to rent equipment. It's per, pretty pretty reasonably priced anyway. But till it now, yep. Whether you're planting now or fall, um, you'd be ahead. Of, they'll be more successful full plots getting them ready now. So take me through that process from a soil sample to the process, what you should do to get your plot in basically soil sample to next, to the next step, to the next step and so on and so forth. Yeah. I get a soil test back. Let's say the pH. Um, and that's kind of the, I don't know the, the exact science terms, forgive me, my horticulture, uh, background. I, I know all this stuff. I just don't know how to explain it all the time, but the pH is a, um, 
for in the soil, the uh, neutral is seven. And a lot of people might know that. Um, so neutral is seven. That is when most of the nutrients and water and uptake that uh, that the soil will hold and, and uptake into the plants the most. So let's say your pH is six. It's not bad for food plants, especially, but um, it won't take that fertilizer and won't take that water and won't won't be as active as, let's say, the pH of a 6.8 or 7. Um, even after over 7 is good. So we do lime. Calisthetic lime raises the pH. A lot of times people are getting established a plot in the middle of the woods where there's ferns and whatnot. pH a lot of times is in the fives. Um, so we put down lime. We put down either pelletized lime or, or ag lime, the bulk lime with the big spreaders and whatnot. Um, again, I'm kind of lucky I got the equipment and everything to, to try to make my life efficient and for the customer, try to make it affordable for them to be able to get this done. But put that on as soon as possible because it takes about six months or so for the lime to really work into the soil and start raising that pH up. And it's to get a new one established, it's probably a three-year, maybe five-year uh, process to get it how you want it. Um, and then you just till or disc, you know, work the ground up best you can. Um, I don't really worry about rocks too much. Um, I, I work around a lot of the stumps if I have to. Um, roots are a pain in the neck a lot of the times. but. Um, yeah, just work it, work it, and then I'll come back. Uh, let's see, uh, two weeks to a month later, and do it again, work it again, or um, spread the lime again, or whatever. And then towards the end of July, beginning of August, I start putting in the fall plots where I'll put in a lot of the cereal rye, oats, winter wheat, brassicas like the rape, uh, kale, turnips, radishes. You know, those are kind of your your hunting plots. Let's, you know, even if you put something in now, soybeans or or buckwheat, let's say, you probably till that under. And by the time you plant, by the time you get to August or whatnot, and you have pretty much all of August. Um, watch the weather. You know, right now it's hot, but we do have rain here and there in the forecast. And the same thing with the fall. Try to try to i know a lot of weekend warriors can't necessarily predict rain or not but um try to get it in before the rain or even right after the rain there's still some moisture in the ground and um you'll have a lot better success that way that just kind of hopefully sets everybody up to if they're getting ready to put in the spring plots or even their fall plots of what they need to do yeah if you don't do a soil test i i i never remember this if you don't do a soil test a lot of people will put down a triple 19 or triple 12 and that could hurt you um, just because you don't need phosphorus. It's the middle number, triple 19, 19, 19, 19. Um, a lot of times you don't need the phosphorus. A lot of times some plants don't need nitrogen. Um, if you're putting in, let's say right now, soybeans, you, you need something like a 6-24-24, low nitrogen, more potash. Um, same thing with clover. Um, more potash, the better little bit of nitrogen in it to kind of jumpstart it. And then the same thing with the fall plots. 
Um, now, in the fall plots, the cereal rye and the winter wheat and the oats and stuff like that, and the brassicas, they want a lot of nitrogen. So a triple 19 might not be enough nitrogen for them. You get like a 4600. And I'll put it all in the spreader at once. And um, that's why a soil test really helps. Once you do soil test, it kind of tells you exactly how much to put down. Get your square footage. That's, you know, uh, just kind of length times width on your food plots. Um, get them close. And, you know, we're not farming for a living. We're farming for deer. So that's why I kind of mentioned the pH. Um, if it is in the fives, I would work on putting some line down. But if it's in the sixes, I wouldn't worry about it. You'll have a good plot. I think that uh, I think that will definitely get some people in the right direction. Well, soil test, like I said, is probably you know to Michigan State, it's it's like twelve dollars to send it in. You send in a check with it. I think it's some for shipping, um, and they're non-biased. Um, I see a lot of people using nothing against the seed companies and other private companies, but you know, the seed companies are selling their own seed. So they may be a little biased. And I've seen, I've compared them, and I've used them myself. Um, they're affordable and whatnot. It, I guess anything, I don't want to, you know, degrade or default anybody for doing it that way. Any soil test is, is a good soil test. So, um, but just kind of keep in mind that they're a little biased towards their seed, and they want you to buy their seed. So, um, some other private ones though, they're, I've used private, uh, soil labs and they're really good too. So would you recommend like the state, um, you know, like for us, Michigan state universities is a good one for us now, or for any other state, would you recommend like a big college like that? Or what do you, what do you recommend? Like send it into the state itself or what, what do you recommend? Most I probably would recommend that. I mean, um, I know there's a lot of the students that are doing it, you know, at the college or whatever, but they're overseen by a professor. So, and, and they do it for farmers. Uh, a lot of time they work with the local conservation districts, and I'm sure other states have local conservation districts that you can take them there as well. Um, and they probably take it, you know, send it to the send it to the local college or the college of the state that does it. Um, and they may not, they may recommend private labs. I know, um, I was using UCU CLC out of Ohio. I think what's the lab called. There's a, I think there's one here in Michigan. Um, I know Dr. Grant Woods uses a private lab. I can't remember the name of it. Um, he's a well-known deer biologist. Um, so I, I think, uh, maybe the one that you kind of hook up with and like, you know, or try a couple different ones and then see if you like them. And you don't have to pull them every year. I don't pull them. Uh, I take that back. I do on some, I'll pull them every year, especially if the client wants to buy them. Um, but if not, I'll go off last year's, uh, especially if we're kind of planting the same thing. And then I'll do it. I'll do another soil test uh, next year, or skip a year or two from there and a lot of those private labs they'll they'll like actually if you want to put in soybeans they will give you the right numbers for soybeans right or if you want to do like a clover or if you tell them what you're doing will they yep. give you the information for that seed that you're putting in 
Yep, same with Michigan State. So when you fill out the form, you and it's not really catered to food platters, and that's the only tough part about Michigan State is because you you look on the back of their their legend, let's say, and it says soybeans or corn or switchgrass, or then they got vegetable gardens and they got all these, you know. With Michigan State, though, they have an agriculture side and they have a lawn care side or lawn side. Um, so don't use the lawn side. Use the agriculture, the farm side. Um, I've seen guys use the lawn side, and they only really uh, expertise is and recommend for lawns. And But on the ag side, you can put down a number, usually it's a three-digit number, of Michigan State has a wildlife legume, it's called. So I usually put that. I think it's one number 172 or 173. They have a wildlife legume, wildlife brassica, something like that. So they have it right there. And then you can put it up in there in notes that, hey, this is a food plot. Um, and, and so they kind of know that who they're dealing with. And then they'll say, yeah, exactly how much per acre usually uh, of nitrogen, potash, lime, and what to put down. Um, and I, and the, the, I, I did see like Wildlife Institute's they do the same thing. It's just to their seed, though. So if you had a blend, like I don't know if Whitetail Institute could give you recommendations for switchgrass or corn. I'm not sure. I could be totally wrong. Um, but a private lab definitely will. Private labs are just a little bit more expensive, but they may be better. So, I mean, if you you could just contact just about anybody, like you said, it just it's all about who you trust and use and, and what works best for you, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been using or trying to promote a lot of organic fertilizer from uh, Morgan's there in Sears, Michigan. Um, they custom blend uh, organic fertilizer. So it's they can mix in lime with it and chicken manure and dairy manure and calcium and boron and all the other nutrients, micronutrients, macronutrients, and they mix it up. And it's a custom blend. Now, they have their own private lab that they use. Um, not to say I give them mine from Michigan State, um, and they'll mix up me a, up a blend. Um, but I've been going that route just simply because if I can get in, logistics are a problem with it a little bit because it's hard to haul, can't be raining. Um, <laughs> so it's hard to work with, but the price is not much more. And the biology you put into the soil is something that the that the like the conventional fertilizer can't get you the bag stuff. Um, bag stuff is pretty much taken up by the plant, leaves really nothing for the soil. Um, we leave stuff for the soil by killing under green stuff or green manure, that some people like to call it. Um, but you know, with that organic fertilizer, it really brings the soil to life and it's amazing stuff but it's just again hard to work with well i think we're coming up on time here case i want to i want to thank you for coming on um if anybody wanted to reach out to you for for property management or anything like that or even just see what you're doing where can they find you yep i've got a website so i like to guide everybody to my website first uh www.completedeer.tv or .com, so complete deer dot TV. 
Uh, on there, I have a bunch of videos, YouTube videos. Um, I have a little bit of a blog on there. I have a services page, so you can kind of run down the services that I provide. Um, uh, I, I have a lot of the equipment that I use on there. Um, an about me page, kind of my background, a little bit more about my background. And then I have my Facebook page, which there's a link there to go to. And like that, follow that. I post a lot there. I think there's an Instagram uh, link too. I post some stuff there, but usually other things are all linked together. Um, so I, I'm trying to produce uh, the YouTube videos on what I'm working on that day or that week, let's say. And um, hopefully some free information out there helps somebody um, with what they got going on on their property. And uh, so just before you get too far, I am giving away a Browning Trail camera. So that I got that going on for a while here. So um, go subscribe to the YouTube page. It's free. Go on my website. Send me an email and say, hey, I want to win that Browning Trail camera. And when I get to 1,000 subscribers, I'm gaining, but we'll get there someday. Um, I'm going to give that trail camera to somebody. Awesome. So, yeah. Everybody go to Casey's YouTube page, subscribe, and then go send him an email and say, you want that Browning trail cam? I can personally tell you Browning trail cams are some of my favorite cameras. I get mine through Casey, and the battery life on them is, are phenomenal, second to none. I can go and put, you know, Rayovac cheap batteries in there, and they last literally almost all year, just one set. And they got great trigger speeds. Their pictures look awesome. I love them to death, and they're, you know, the ones I get are around $100 to $130 a piece. So, you know, I like I like quantity as well, but with those cameras, I get quantity and quality. So I do run quite a bit of them, and I can vouch that they are awesome cameras. So if you guys could go do that, I'd appreciate it, and I know Casey would. So, again, Case, I appreciate you coming on. This won't be the last time. We'll get you on here and do some more updates and uh Again, I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for coming on. All right, good deal. Have a good one. And there you have it. Thank you very much to Casey Thren for coming on and talking deer management. This is not going to be the last time we have Casey on. He's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to deer habitat. He's been doing it a while, and he's had a lot of success doing it. I hope everybody enjoyed it. And don't forget, next Wednesday, an all-new episode of the Fall Podcast.